0: to you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Blaze Hunter. She is the owner and founder of Blaze the Trail Incorporated. She's also known as a modern-day superhero, a best-selling author, a multi-award-winning humanitarian, international speaker, fertility expert, human rights advocate, copyright, mother of purpose, and a breaker of the chains. You certainly do wear a hell of a lot of hats, Blaze, and you have one heck of a resume. I mean, being a modern-day superhero and a modern mom. And a mom, well, I think those two jobs alone are the most important jobs. I mean, all moms are superheroes, aren't they?
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: How do you prioritize and how important is prioritization and organization to you in order to stay on top of things?
1: Yeah, I think it's just about being present and showing up and that's messy and imperfect and beautiful. And every day it's fluid and changes and morphs into something else. As long as I'm staying true to the value of who I'm trying to be every day, then that may look different every day. But that's the meaning of a superhero is being able to adapt and adjust and sit and coexist in the mess.
0: Absolutely. I would love to know With you wearing so many hats, what does your morning routine look like?
1: My morning routine is basically having that attitude to conquer because I battle a very rare illness. And with that, it presents challenges the moment I wake up, whether I have breathing attacks, lung issues, something going on in my body. And that shapes how I respond to that when the moment I wake up how I respond to my family, circumstances, how I even get my daughter ready for school. And so my morning routine is that intention that I'm not going to let this illness make me bitter and angry and impatient. And I've got to check that. So that's my morning routine is just checking that every morning and deciding who I want to be today.
0: I love that. Being in the present and listening to your body. Mm-hmm. So what drives, motivates, and inspires you to keep excelling at all that you do?
1: I think, you know, I I went through my entire life up until like 33, where I had this big epiphany moment that I wasn't living the life that I wanted. I was a victim of my life. And I was like, how do I change this? And so I came across a a beautiful quote that has stuck with me and is the driver of everything I do every single day is from Benjamin Franklin. And he said, most people die at 25, but don't get buried until 75.
0: Oh, That is fucking powerful. I've never heard that quote before. That is phenomenal.
1: Right? And it's like, he wasn't talking about physical death. He was talking about no. emotional death. Yeah. And so that's what drives me is like, am I going to be the walking dead today and just mediocre or just surviving? Or I'm going to channel that and thrive even in the mess and the problems and the hardships and the trauma and the illness. We all have it, but am I going to be the walking dead or am I going to slay it? And so that's what drives me that quote.
0: I love it. Live your best life. Live in alignment. That's what we're all here for is to serve that purpose of bringing our gift to the world and being happy and living the life that makes us happy. Because when we do that, that radiates out to everyone else around us. And I think it's that ripple effect. It gives them permission to do so as well.
1: Totally. And it's authentic because we have this Kind of notion that I got to show that I'm conquering it. And it's like, no, you got to show how you work through it in the mess, in the problem. And I'm just like, I don't know what I'm doing either, but I'm trying.
0: (laughs) Right. Like, yeah. And life is messy. Let's be honest. And we've got to embrace those messy bits and be okay with it.
1: We're going to lose. We're going to fall. We're going to get walked to the Ground and cry and think I want to quit. And that is real. And I'm tired of people saying, just be positive. And you know, (laughs) that's part of it, not quitting, but part of it is also just showing the real side of losing and the grit that it takes to get back up. You fall down seven times, you get back up eight. Like I was just gonna to say fall. that
0: we, as long as we get back up after we've been knocked down, that's all that matters. And try again. Yes. Pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and give it another fucking shot, and that's right. it.
1: Because you don't lose that way. Like that's there's right. moments where I contemplate completely giving up still to this day. Absolutely. That's human. Of course, you're a human. It, yeah. But I don't. For some reason I find something, a reserve within, and I think that's really powerful, especially in women. We have such deep reserves. That we can pull and draw from and not give up and find that inner motivation and inspiration. So that's what I just try to show in my life that it ain't perfect, but it's brilliant and beautiful. And it's part of our story.
0: Well, the other side of that speaks to that hustle culture bullshit, which I think is total crap. Yes. It's horrible. I fucking hate that word hustle. Me too. And it's just complete bullshit. The picture pretty social media portrayal that people put out there of all of the good and no one talks about the bad or the down. I mean, speaking of entrepreneurship in particular, we don't talk about the downsides of it, the loneliness of solopreneurship and all of those struggles. It's not this picture-perfect life. There are struggles and that's part of the journey. That's part of the joy of being an entrepreneur, I think, is going through those struggles and learning those lessons as you go through them. Not this bullshit picture perfect thing that you see on social media portrayed by so many people. It's the highlight reel that you're seeing
1: absolutely and that's not it's not helping people it actually no contributes to the mental health crisis it it actually contributes to burnout contributes to the perfection race where we think we got to compete or become that because that's what everyone is presenting but that's not real it's a facade yeah and we need to get away with that and just have some real deep conversations like you're gonna get more (laughs) rejection more no's than any other profession if you just become an entrepreneur And, and like Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I I just,
0: I love that you brought that up. The fact about having those conversations. Sorry, go on. I just wanted to say that. No. Thank
1: you. I just, I appreciate that we're can have this conversation in dialogue, (laughs) right? Because it's such bullshit. Like you said, it's such a fake representation of what's reality in, in any kind of business or any kind of way of life. It's so pigeonholed into like, oh, if you do this, this and this and never quit, you'll succeed. And it's like, well, not necessarily.
0: <laughs> no, it's not that simple. It's not a. It's not a formula that can just be laid out. It's archaic. It's learning. It's mistakes. It's falling down. It's picking yourself back up. But I've thought about this quite a bit in the last while. And I honestly believe that we as entrepreneurs who are little, and I'm, I mean, I'm only six years into the game myself. But I think that I've gained a fair bit of knowledge and wisdom through my journey. And of course, there are people that are much further along in their journey, and there are people that are not as far as along. But I think that it's our responsibility of those who have been in the game for a little while to help educate those new people coming into the entrepreneurial world on these things and let them know that, hey, this isn't going to be all sunshine, rainbows, puppy dogs, and ice cream. There's going to be struggles. There's going to be loneliness you're going to have to deal with. You're going to fail you're not going to succeed at everything you try. But in those failures are the lessons. And Mm -hmm. that's where you're going to gain the most experience and the most knowledge.
1: Absolutely. And welcoming it. And I think that's the hardest thing for humanity is to welcome the devastation, the tragedy, the setback, because we don't want to feel that. That's painful. But you know what? You learn the most from that, whether it's your character or how to adjust and improve, you learn more from the tragedy than the wit and the setbacks. So by changing your perception of that and welcoming it and be like, all right, what's this teaching me now? How do I pull this and wring it out like a wet socky towel <laughs> and be like <laughs> that's what how can- you
0: fucking grow
1: right like i'm gonna get the most out of this problem even though it is like breaking me to the core it's yeah. gonna help me in the end so like changing how i view the challenge or the rejection has changed me and helped me the most
0: I love it, Blaze. I love this conversation. I think, I mean, there's so many conversations that we need to have. We need to start having the difficult conversations that people don't want to have, that people don't want to talk about, or people are too scared to talk about. Because for me, I am 100% in the belief that conversation is the catalyst for change. That's how we start to change things. That's where it all begins.
1: Well, exactly. And and strengthening us as a humanity core, right? Uh Because we isolate when we just talk about the wins and say all of this, but we don't talk about, we're not prepping people how to handle rejection, how to handle the setback. And so then when we don't talk about it, we set them up for failure and then we don't help them through the, the tragedy, right? Through the hardship. And it's like, we're stronger together. So, Hey, I'm an open book. Like I'm successful in many areas of my life, but I have had some massive rejection, massive yeah. problems, and have had to pivot and regroup and completely start again from the end. Ashes the like the, the the complete devastation of what happened and you yeah. rebuild, but that teaches people how to do it and how to get through it themselves. And that is so much value versus hey, look at my ward, and you can do that too if you just try hard, <laughs> right? Like-
0: <laughs> well, see that's a whole other podcast episode, I think, Blaze, because that is a huge problem, in my opinion, in society today with how kids are being raised and how everyone gets a prize, everyone gets a trophy, everybody wins. You can't say this because you might hurt Johnny's feelings or all of these things. And I think the education system is to blame. The parents are to blame. All of these things, you exactly said it Blaze. We are setting people up for failure Mm -hmm. is exactly what we're doing by behaving in this manner.
1: Well, and we, we teach about grit and we, it's like this beautiful thing, have grit, have resiliency, but actually we're not teaching them how to get there, how to lean into the problem yeah. and work it out and turn it into their pearl. We just, you know, tell them be gritty, but we don't show them. And then we punish them for not being gritty and mock them for being weak. So there's yeah. a disconnect in the society, culture altogether. We need a new system.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The, the world needs an enema.
1: Yes, <laughs> totally.
0: Blaze, besides being a mom, how and why do you also wear the title of modern day superhero?
1: it came as several epiphanies like i said when i was in my mid 30s um i struggled with self-hatred my whole life the image i looked at in the mirror i was ugly and i didn't measure up and i have a daughter and i was sitting there one day just looking at her and she was about 3 or 4 and i'm like how am i going to get her to go to school in the next few years and not struggle with body image and getting told that she's fat or has to be this certain kind of shape or size and it was just like this huge moment that came over me, a catalyst that that just shaped this entire journey for me, how I wrote my book, how I changed the course of my narrative in my life. It was like, oh, how do I expect her to do it if her biggest role model, her mama, isn't practicing what she preaches? When I sit there and look in the mirror and go in the change room and come out crying and she's seeing that, how do I expect her to be any different than that? So I had to change my narrative and my voice and inner voice because that becomes her voice. So that is the modern day superhero mom is to be the change for your child, for your young and actually do the work. Don't just tell them to be all be the world changers and earth shakers. But then I'm living a mediocre self-hatred life. So I had to be the change for her.
0: I love it. I think that it is our responsibility as parents to do just that, but to also continually embed these values into our children. If we start talking about all of this stuff when they're at a very young age and teach them these values from a very young age and teach them to love themselves and love their bodies and all of these things from when they're young. I mean, you tell someone something enough, they're going to believe it. So Let's start at a young age doing exactly these things for our kids because we will then turn them into beautiful, flourishing humans, adults.
1: Exactly. They're just little receptors, they're modeling yeah. everything, even the silence. And so, like, what are you doing? How do you look at yourself in the mirror? What clothes are you picking out? Are you fun? Are you masking? What are you using And all of these things that defines your beauty? And they're picking up on that. And this is anyone. This isn't just little girls. So this is everybody. It affects body image, -image, self-image, self-worth. That is all built from your environment. So whatever they're picking up on... What is shaping them? What is teaching? What is the narrative? And so every day that is my intention, that I show up, that I am worthy, and I'm just going to rock the glorious person that I am. <laughs> and she picks up on that. And she's rocking yep. her quirkiness. And I never actually have to say much to her. I don't have I to say it. just be it. And she picks up on it.
0: (laughs) I love it. I mean, that's not to say that we, we all have bad days. We all have down days and they're going to happen. And I mean, that's just part of life. We're human beings and we go through things, but if you can rise up above it and be that example for your kids, it goes a hell of a long way.
1: Well, and that's the thing is what is the intention? What is the value? And so that I had to shift that today. I will not. And I do this every single day. What is my definition of beauty? It's not the scale that measures my worth. It is me that measures that. Is I get to decide. I'm taking my power back. So today, what is my beauty? What is that for me? And it's not defined by anybody else but me. So today, I'm just going to look in the mirror and be like, I'm beautiful. And I'm going to rock it. And even when I struggle and my pants are a bit snug on me and I have all these thoughts, I'm like, no, I don't do that anymore because that's not the definition of my worth. I get to decide it today, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, that is so powerful and beautiful. Thank you for sharing that, please.
1: Thanks.
0: I want to speak a little bit about you being a fertility expert. How Mm -hmm. long have you been a fertility expert? And what inspired or was the catalyst for you becoming a fertility expert?
1: Yeah, it's been such an amazing organic journey of where I had that epiphany about self-hatred. I have a rare autoimmune disease and that has impacted my fertility. I had my one daughter, but then I've had secondary infertility, three miscarriages. And along with that, it was another portal for me to hate myself and blame myself that I wasn't a good enough woman because I couldn't carry another child. And so obviously I'm a bad woman that I can't bear a baby. And it just became this internal narrative of attacking myself. And I went to an, an interesting therapy session and she just goes, you have a rare autoimmune disease where your body attacks itself. And I said, yeah. She's like, do you think there's a link with that and that you hate yourself so much. And I just was like, pow, like no one's ever presented it like that. She's like, you attack yourself every day with your thoughts. Do you think your body's picking up on that signal and is attacking itself? So from that wow. moment on, I decided to starve the disease by injecting love instead of hate. And through that, I started to write my book, "Heroine: Embrace Your Flaws and Own Your Awesome. And I decided to really... Shake things up and break the silence barriers on the taboo topic of infertility and pregnancy laws. And it was such a shameful thing. Like it's still a very taboo topic. People don't talk about the shame and that self blame they're carrying that they're not being able to carry a baby. And so I really opened this dialogue and just thought I would heal my heart and inject love. And it became this invitation for other parents to join the conversation and say, Me too, I'm struggling with that. And so Organically, it became a business and then derived into a nonprofit agency called Footprints Infertility and Pregnancy Loss Support Initiative, where I help parents grieve, heal, connect, not be alone in the shame and the silence and just heal and know that they're not alone. And we can rally together and inject some healing and change the conversation from a victim to empowerment. And through that, you know what? I know I'm not a certified doctor. I don't help people get pregnant, but I want to redefine what that fertility means. Cause just because I can't have another baby right now, doesn't mean I'm barren. That's right. And doesn't mean I'm less of a woman and doesn't mean why, why is fertility so linear? Because we talk about fertile soil and we are all about like, we need fertile soil and fertile this, but we don't actually change it throughout the rest of our lives. So maybe I can't bear a Physical baby, but I can birth dreams, goals.
0: <laughs> I love that, baby.
1: right? I can birth Fuck. my book. I can birth yeah. a new version of myself. I can birth so many things, and that's fertile. That's so I right. really decided to become a fertility expert in that moment and redefine and expand the definition of fertility and help people be fertile in all aspects of their lives. So that's where I'm from
0: powerful and beautiful i love that i mean that's your mission is along with helping people birth their identity their voices wow. dreams rights books brands all of these things it just because it's not children doesn't mean you're not fertile like fuck exactly that is so powerful Blake i love it
1: thank you <laughs>
0: amazing it's just so beautiful and so powerful
1: thank you it just gave me more of a purpose because I have a child and I'm so blessed, but what if many people don't bear a baby? Are they barren? Like, I just think that's so such well, a... Why
0: is everything hinged on that? Whether yeah. you can have children? Or- I think it's horrible that women get judged for whether they can have children or not. Exactly. Like, it's ridiculous.
1: And that's why I wanted to say like, I'm a mother of purpose, whatever that means today. And what if that means for somebody else that doesn't have a child, you're yeah. a mother of purpose. Go be fertile and birth things.
0: Right? <laughs> birth shit, just yeah,
1: <laughs> right. And I, I look at trees, and I, it just has been such an eye opening experience for me. Of like, there's, so there's a branch on a tree that's not producing buds, but that tree isn't dead.
0: No, that's no less of a tree.
1: Right. And it's supporting that branch, even though it doesn't have life on that particular branch. It's still life-giving and birthing beautiful things throughout that tree. So, like, you're not barren. That's not it for you. Go birth things. Go birth love. Go be yeah. a mother. Nurture things. Nurture yourself. Yeah. Create. That's mother. Redefine well, women, a are, mother. women
0: are natural nurturers, period. Exactly. That's it.
1: So let's get out there and really preach about what fertility means for you and go birth it.
0: Well, I think birthing for women and for men, obviously men can't birth, but I'm just saying that in terms of fertility and birthing, I think our voices is one of the most important things that we need to learn how to birth because we all have a voice that needs to be heard. We all have a story that needs to be shared. So those two things, Mm -hmm. everybody needs to birth those things in their lives.
1: Absolutely. And and men are part of that process, right? And that yep. conversation of birthing. So it just looks different. We get very linear, like I said. Yeah. We need to expand what that looks like because fathers of destiny and mothers of purpose and birthing things, birthing your identity, birthing who you're supposed to be and leave an impact on this world. That's all about. Creation and we yeah. need both. We need the exactly. and the womb to I'm be. I'm so glad right? you
0: said that because yeah. I think that we need to also. I mean, the patriarchy is a huge problem, and that's crumbling, and that's great. But I think that we need to stop looking at things or issues or the masculine versus feminine, this competition bullshit between yeah. men and women. And I mean, let's be you cannot deny men and women are different period there's no denying it we are just Mm -hmm. we are physiologically different but if we cast aside the masculine and feminine competition and bullshit and just come together as human beings and unite and support and lift and celebrate how much better will this fucking world be how much more positivity will be put out into the world. How much more will we be able to accomplish as a human race? We will be unstoppable.
1: Absolutely. And it needs to be collaboration over competition.
0: Absolutely.
1: And I think with the masculine and feminine, and I write about this in my next book, Captain Communicator, I really dive in deep about It's like we have masculine and feminine throughout all of us. It's not about gender. It's about energy. And we need both And and we need both to thrive and it's not one or the other. And one's not better. We keep trying to be. And and the reason for this is because we have lost our personal identity and our personal purpose. So we end up attacking other people instead of just addressing what the lack of it in ourselves and just working on that. So then we attack and then we pick the weakness of the different energies. And instead of saying, hey, you have. Strength there. And that is my weakness. And I want to draw from your strength and collaborate and complement my weakness. And I have the strength and I can complement that. Right. Yep. And so it's about the masculine is the conqueror and the feminine is the contributor. And if yeah. we can meld those two together, that is powerful instead of picking it apart and saying one is bad. That doesn't get us anywhere. We're stuck. We're not moving forward. So let's join in and collaborate and create movement and advance humanity together.
0: Exactly, and that you know that's what the powers that be are scared of. Yeah, that's why all this divisiveness in the world. Because if we do get past this, and I believe we will, and come together and unite, there the powers that be are fucked. We will be so much more powerful as a united unit and we need to community has been lost and we need to get back to that collaboration and community are two of the most important things not only in entrepreneurship but life we need those two things we are not here to do things alone period
1: no and i think again it goes back to we don't know our identity because i know when i'm feeling jealous or competitive it's triggering something that I'm feeling lacking in. And instead of recognizing that many times, we then get competitive and lash out and try and be the best. But right there, that's the wrong energy because now I have gone into the ego and into the lack rather than yeah. understanding, hey, that's just a sore spot for me or my weak area and go bless them because that's yeah. not my journey. That's not yes. my, that that's theirs and I have mine, but that's the thing. And, and then we've gotten competitive with the masculine feminine and then- Women have been pitted against one another. So now we're not yeah. just competitive with the masculine, we're competitive with one another, which is another, you know, hit to advancement because we need the women to collectively combine because we're so amazingly powerful and reunite that women energy.
0: I think that is even more sad, the fact that women have been tearing each other down Amen. and not lifting each other. And listen, I would say that, a lot of the reason for that comes from the patriarchy because there have been so few opportunities for Mm -hmm. women in the past. So understandably, women had to compete for those positions that were so few. So I can understand where that comes from, but we are moving into a place and time of abundance and there is more than enough to go around for everybody, in my opinion. So if we just celebrate each other, come together as a community, unite and and collaborate with each other, we are unstoppable.
1: Absolutely. And it it's a big indicator how much you are willing to die and recognize and reflect to your own weaknesses. The moment that I see that competitive nature or jealousy, it's like you have something to work on there. And we all do. But yeah. to, to sit there and say that, hey, that's triggering something in me. And it's not about that person. It's about something I need to heal and go bless them. And I've got my own journey instead of like, huh, they got that job. I'm going to go do this, this, and this, and this, <laughs> right? And yes. I was that person. So I'm calling myself out. I was that woman for 33 years of my life. I am a natural competitor and I'm driven. I will vote my mom off survivor if I have to, at winning, <laughs> right? Like I am that girl, but I, I, I was in that space, that energy where I was cursing people in my energy to be better than them because I felt not good enough. And that's the wrong space to be in. So now I check that and I'll get that. I'll see a post and someone got an award, an opportunity, something. And I immediately go into competitive mode. I'm like, no (sighs) blaze. (laughs) that's just highlighting that, that sore spot with you and you're okay. Stand down, go bless them, and you've got your own journey. And that releases and that creates so much connection, opportunity, and collaboration out in the world. It's that energy space where I'm welcoming that rather than putting up walls and rejecting it.
0: Now, I want to speak a little bit about your human rights advocate work.
1: Mm-hmm. You were
0: selected to represent Canada at an International Human Rights Summit in Istanbul. Can you speak a little bit about that experience and how that all came to be for you?
1: Yes. So it's just like I love how I know I'm on the right path because I haven't had to force this. This this book, this business was all based to heal my heart from three miscarriages and battling a rare illness. And it just created the space and opportunity to learn and develop things and birth amazing things. So like my nonprofit organization and through the pandemic, there's been a lot of conversation about human rights and I didn't really know much about human rights. So I thought, Hey, before I make comments about human rights, maybe I should learn about it before I take a position on it. So I became educated, I got certified through a wonderful organization in Washington, DC about human rights advocacy. And so that piqued my interest of what all that means. And I started talking more about my nonprofit and reproductive health, but I didn't really know the term. My mentor, human rights lawyer in Washington, D.C., was like, you know what you're doing is human rights advocacy with reproductive health rights. That's a thing. And I was like, what? Like (laughs) I'm a woman who had three miscarriages, who advocates for better systems and protocols, and I don't know the term reproductive health rights? Sure enough, I googled it and holy crap, it's a thing. Why don't we know this? Why are not we teaching this? Why aren't we showing the world that that's an actual human right to have autonomy and dignity and conversations about better processes when handling miscarriages and not sending parents home with right information on how to deal with The trauma of miscarrying a baby at home. And so all of this kind of just came to a head through the pandemic where I got educated. And then it gave me laser focus because now I had the passion, now I had the intention and the channel and the platform, but I also have the wisdom, the expertise and the training. So I started really channeling all that into human rights conversations because now I've got leverage and power to say, hey, this is a human rights violation that we're not changing protocols. There's not one. Dialogue wording in an employee's handbook in Canada that addresses reproductive health rights. What happens if one of your employees has a miscarriage? What happens? And you don't have any kind of language in your employee handbook on how to deal with that, whether it's male or female or anybody. There's nothing. So that's what I'm actually doing is taking that training and recreating new policies that address gender diversity and inclusion for reproductive health and what that language looks like and how to support every single person in that workforce has come from a family. And yet we're not family friendly workforces and employers. So (laughs) I've been creating, I know. So I'm creating something that's brand new in Canada And so I've been using all of this training then to pitch, to be on platforms and podcasts and talk about it. And it's created such a welcoming invitation saying, Hey, you're onto something here. People aren't talking about this enough yet. So when I applied for this conference, I got selected to represent Canada to talk about it. And I went to Istanbul last year with 50 other countries from around the world and they're all speaking about, you know, human rights violations happening in their particular communities. And I got up there and I had five minutes and I was going to be all like policy and I'm, I'm <laughs> right? I'm, a, I'm in front of politicians, the United Nations, dignitaries, and I'm going to be very, you know, political and very direct. And then I just felt throughout the conference that that wasn't really what was being received the most. It was the people going up there and just speaking from the heart. And so I changed my speech at midnight. I'm speaking at 9am the next morning and I'm on the phone with my husband. I'm like, I have never done this. I don't like this. I like my notes and I like having my direction (laughs) and I'm all over the place and I don't know what to do, but I know I have this feeling that I just need to speak from the heart. He's like, you'll be fine. So I go up there the next morning and I have five minutes to capture 150 people from around the world to talk about something that no one is talking about. And I stood there and I said, I have PTSD from flushing my dead baby down the toilet. And no one prepared me. They sent me home with a piece of paper and a pill saying what to do if you bleed out and what to do with the tissue. But no one talked to me that it was a baby. And what to do when you see an ear and a face? And how do you reconcile that as a mother? And what do you do? As a human,
0: never mind.
1: Right? Right. And I flushed that and I have grief and guilt that I didn't honor that baby, but I I panicked and it's barbaric and no one's talking about it. And I don't care if I re-traumatize somebody right here because I'm going to be very real. Yeah. I'm doing a disservice if I don't talk about
0: it. That's right.
1: And I sat there and I just kept talking from the heart of when, you know, a simple question of how many children do you have? I get asked that every day whether that's just conversation or on a questionnaire and I sit there and it's such a complex question for me because do I say I have one or do I have four?
0: Right. Right. Because because the
1: other three are not living here with me, but they existed. And if I don't say that I had four, then I somehow feel guilty that in honor that I have three other babies. And so in that moment, when I said that a man In the crowd, from a European nation, clapped, and an Arabic sheikh prince nodded his head, and it was like dawning on me that oh my god, if I have these two men in the crowd of communities and nations that aren't very developed for women empowerment and equal rights, I'm on to (laughs) something. Yeah, and they clapped, and everyone erupted with with applause and cheers in mid speech. And it just was this beautiful moment of connection where I broke a veil of silence and trauma and something that is very taboo across this world. This isn't a Canada problem, a US problem. This is a world problem. And I had women coming up to me after from Sudan, from Israel, from Iran and saying, you're right, they don't. Do anything for you. They give you a pill and send you on your way and they're re-traumatizing you. And that's a human rights violation. And it was just solidifying for me that I'm on the right path with my mission and my message.
0: I love it. And you never, ever would have had that effect had you gone the other route with your talk. Yes, exactly. I think that's how we connect and that's how we're going to reach and impact the most people. It's just speaking from the heart, being honest, and authentic and real. That undoubtedly, there's no denying it. That's where you're going to get the most impact, no matter what you're talking about. Because you then become relatable, which is what it's all about, is being able to relate to people. And let's look at the problem on a wider scale. The staff in the hospital aren't trained on how to Deal with these things. That's Mm -hmm. where it needs to start, is from the top and training their staff on how to educate the patients.
1: Exactly. And I get it. I get it. They've seen it a thousand times, it becomes desensitized but i am human and i'm yes. having a human experience and it's just happening to me in this moment and that's what i really try and get people like many people haven't had a miscarriage or infertility issue so you can't fully directly relate but then i break it down and i said you know have you ever had a trauma or a tragedy or a hardship yes we all have we're not immune to that yeah. so then if you can feel in that moment what you felt like in that moment of your own personal trauma then i'm feeling a trauma and a hardship and a sadness and a grief so now we can enter a shared reality one with one another. Yeah. And so when we can do that, we connect and we develop empathy. And then That's that right. is where we can have a human experience with one another and start caring for a cause.
0: So how does someone go about becoming a human rights advocate? How do people get involved if they want to do something like that? But maybe they don't know where the hell to start.
1: Yeah, come talk to me. I have a great organization (laughs) out of Washington, D.C. That's a great nonprofit that they're doing. Their human rights lawyers have gotten together and just started wanting to educate people about human rights. Like There's 30 human rights from the Universal Declaration of Human Rights coined by Eleanor Roosevelt after World War II. And those 30 were ratified with the United Nations. And they, all those countries, part of the United Nations, agreed that those are 30 basic human rights that we need for this world. And they all signed it in 1948. And yet, when they go home to their individual countries, it's up to them to further ratify it as law in their land, in their country. Right. And that's where their disconnect has come. We sit United Nations and say, yeah. And we say yes. And we sign the paper, but we don't go back and create laws for our own countries. And so I want people to get passionate that there's human rights here. And human rights advocacy is not about my right. It's about my neighbors. It's about, because where does my right end and yours begin? It's blurred. It's a blurred line. And But you know what? I'll never go wrong if I rally for your right, yeah. I'll never go wrong. And so when you want to be interested about human rights and what that means and what that looks like, come talk to me. I'm a human rights consultant certified through Washington, D.C. You can go to my website. I have a whole human rights consulting thing. And then you can become educated, too, and get certified human trafficking, anything to do about human rights. It's, it's really powerful just to be educated. And then you have leverage to, and wisdom to start making this world a better place. Because if we start advocating for those 30 basic human rights, we would have a better world.
0: Beautiful. Well, we'll put your, all your information will be in the show notes. So people can access that and find out more should they want to go down that route. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. You've been recognized by your peers in your industry for the work you're doing for women And its importance in the world. What do these accolades mean to you? Like do they carry much weight with you? Do they really matter to you? Or is it more about just doing the work?
1: It just amplifies the message. And so I honor that I'm getting recognized. I I think that we should celebrate that. You know how many times I've cut myself up emotionally for all my blunders and all the things I've done wrong? Why shouldn't I celebrate my wins? So I really I like encourage everyone. Celebrate yourself. Absolutely. (laughs) Like I'm going to take that. You know how many times I've cut myself down and punished myself. I am going to switch that narrative now and I'm going to celebrate. I'm badass. This is exciting that what I'm doing and I'm accomplishing and I'm living my purpose and I'm getting recognized for that. And I have no qualms and that's not being boastful. That is being celebratory of who I am as a person and walking in that truth. And I am loving that. I am loving
0: Fuck that. Yes. Right. I, I'm I'm such a, an advocate for that. We do. We need to celebrate our wins. We need to get, again, this ties back to this hustle culture bullshit and crossing the items off the to-do list and then not taking the time in between to celebrate those things that we just completed or those wins that we got and moving right along to the next thing. Okay. onto to the next list. On to the next list. Fuck that. Slow down celebrate the wins, no matter how big or small they are, celebrate them. They deserve to be celebrated. You deserve to be celebrated. And we need to lean more into that. I think we've lost that. And there's, I guess, shame around it because, oh, you're bragging, you're being boastful, you're being this. No, I'm just celebrating me and I deserve to be celebrated, period.
1: Absolutely. You should be your biggest cheerleader. Yes. Right? Because if you don't, no one else will. Exactly. Exactly. And and then we do this and, and we're like, oh, I better not. Oh, I'm going to be humble. Yes, there, there's a difference between sure, humility yes. and celebration of yourself. But yeah. it's the energy and the intent and the motive of me. And it's not, oh, look at me. It's like, man, look what I've been through. Yeah. And I'm still fucking here. And I'm going to celebrate that every single day, because I'm going to teach my daughter that. You well, can celebrate th- yourself.
0: Yeah. And I think that's exactly it, right? When we do celebrate ourselves and stand up and speak of it, it gives other people the permission to exactly. do so as well and creates that ripple effect. So yeah, you're celebrating you, but you're also helping people learn to celebrate them.
1: Yeah. And my accolades, awards just means my message getting out. And yeah. how is that a bad thing? So this is great that <laughs> what I teach is to love yourself, walk in your purpose, own your identity and be your own superhero. Yeah. If an award helps me get that message out, perfect. <laughs> Let's beautiful. bring it on. <laughs>
0: yeah. What lights you up or inspires you the most about the work that you do?
1: Just so it, it really shows how that we're perfectly imperfect. And when we draw into that power of what lights you up, and everybody has a different thing that lights you up. And that's the beautiful part of your purpose. It's so unique to you. But the fact that I battle a very serious illness and I struggle to breathe every single day and I could lay there and be like Benjamin Franklin said, like laying there emotionally and physically dying, or I can draw in something that lights me up, that makes me feel something and makes me want to make this world a better place, then it heals me and its health and its energy. And people say, how do you not have a complete emotional energy burnout after you leave the stage? And I'm like, because it actually." drives the energy to me because I've tapped into that resource, that sustainable, renewable energy that is keeping me alive. That's pumping my heart because it's driving my passion. And I want everyone to tap into that. You've got that. It's something unique to you. That's something that interests you, that you're born in this world for to change, to be a light for, to be a voice for, to be a healing factor for. And what is that for you? Because for me, obviously it's, it's fertility. It's to be fertile, even in a barren season, even in the winter season, you're still fertile. And so that is what's lighting me up is that I found something that keeps me pumping even in my misery. And the misery is my muse. So that my pain became my purpose infertile. And, you know, health problems has become the narrative of how to be a healer, how to be energy, even in sickness and in low energy. So that's what I tell people, what is the pain in your life? And that is the ticket to the inspiration and motivation for you, for your pearl.
0: You are the founder of, as I mentioned, Blaze the Trail Incorporated. When did Mm -hmm. you start or found Blaze the Trail Incorporated and what inspired you to start a consulting agency?
1: Yeah, that was in 2018 when I published my first book, Heroin. I said it was never supposed to be a business, never supposed to be anything other than my own healing journey book. My publisher was like, when you create your Facebook page, write author, speaker. And I'm like, no, I know I'm a radio broadcaster by trade and a journalist and a publicist, but that's not what I'm doing here. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm just trying to heal and get through this illness. And she's like, no, trust me, you're going to be a speaker. And that was kind of that first... Little inkling that maybe this is going to be more than just a book and it organically developed to creating a business where people wanted to hear what I had to say and I could present it in a way that made people feel alive. And that's what I want to do. I'm not here to go speak on a stage and say the same boring thing 20 minutes, and, <laughs> you know. Raw, raw, love yourself. And then people mm-hmm. go back, they get all excited and hyped. And then 20 minutes later, they go home and they're right back to the regular routines. I'm here to shake things up. I'm a disruptor and I want to change people's narratives because most of us are struggling with our identity. And if. It's not working for us, whatever we're listening to right now. So I'm going to go and be this different disruptor, crazy person that screams and breathes fire with a, keeping a sword on stage. And I'm going to make you feel something, whether I make <laughs> you feel like, man, she pissed me off. Cause good. I want to piss people off. <laughs> I, I want to get you them there, up. <laughs> there. Right? Like I want to get you right in there. And I don't. Sugarcoat it, and I go right in there, and I want to find the pulse of what's going on in you, and push it, and push that trigger point because that's what creates the change and the want to try to do something more worth living for, and stop being mediocre, stop being on a diet. How many people are on a diet in this world? And if you're dieting physically with your food, you're dieting emotionally. So get off the point plan and start having an appetite for life, and that is the ticket. So that is what the point of my business is. And it's just kind of fueled the fire. <laughs> and I'm here today, how many years later, doing more and more with my business.
0: <laughs> I fucking love it. I love the passion in your voice. And it it really truly is. It, it makes all the difference in the world when you find your purpose and what lights you up and what sets your soul on fire, what makes your heart sing, what makes your soul sing. It's an incredibly powerful and beautiful feeling when you get there. There's no feeling like it in the world, honestly, in my opinion.
1: No, and I'm just open to it. And many people, like you, like, what made you do Blaze the Trail consulting? I'm like, I didn't. It chose me. It just became this entity that was beyond what I could even fathom. And if we have time, I'll, t- I'll do the little quick story of how it all actually came about, which is so sure. magical. Go for it, it. Is that in 2016, I had my first miscarriage. And it devastated me to the core. I was not prepared for that because, like I said, it's such a silent topic. Everyone thinks it happens to other people, but it wouldn't happen to me. And when you go through it and there's no system available to support you mental health wise, you're left alone. And I was already battling this rare illness. I went through a lot of trauma as a child. My dad faked his own death and returned home and never spoke about it again. And so there's a lot of factors of rejection, of abandonment, of not feeling worthy enough and good enough. And here, fast forward at 2016, I'm sitting there in my depths of the despair of my worst depression of my life, going through childhood trauma, illness, and now a miscarriage. And I felt like my life had no more meaning. Even though I had a wonderful husband and a daughter, I was so consumed by the grief and depression of the traumas that I was going through. I couldn't see clearly. And I sat there in the middle of my room contemplating is my life over and I'm going to die and I have no meaning and I'm worthless. And I said, God, I I need a sign that I'm not going to die. Like this isn't it. And I just started having these kind of conversations with myself and I was scrolling on Facebook and I came across this lady's post that she was going to be in Edmonton, Alberta in a few weeks. I didn't know this lady. She's from the States. I lived three hours away from Edmonton, but for some reason it caught my eye and piqued my interest that it was this healing minister coming to to Edmonton. And I needed to go. It was like this little pull in my heart that I needed to go see this woman. It was too ill to drive. And I called my mom. I'm like, will you come pick me up and take me to this service? And she said, yes. She takes me to the service and I, I get loud in my head and I just say, God, I need a sign tonight. Whatever I'm doing here, for some reason, I need you to pull through for me here. If you're real, give me a sign that this isn't it for me, that I've got some hope for my life. And that's it. That's all I said. And we get to the service and we get to the front row and I sit down and my mom's like, I don't do front rows. And I'm like, "Why? Well, I, <laughs> I didn't come here for the back. And she sat beside me and the lady starts talking and she doesn't know me, but I do have a connection with her because I grew up in a very Christian home, went to church as a kid in another province. Her parents were healing ministers. They traveled the world. They visited my church when I was little and I remembered them and they've passed on. This woman has taken over their ministry, but I've never met the daughter. So she's there talking and she's, you know, being encouraging to people, but I get loud in my head and I'm like, God, I need my sign. Like I swear, you know, that competitive spirit, I'll stay in this chair all night if... I have to, I won't leave here without some kind of sign that there's more to my life than pain and trauma and depression because I cannot do this. I can't live like this. So you got to give it to me. I'm calling it in. And she's talking, and all of a sudden she goes, Hang on, I need to stop the entire service. Someone is drawing on me so much that I can't continue. <laughs> and no one knows what she's talking about, right? Like I'm not even thinking this is me, yeah. right? I'm just, okay, whatever. And she walks over to me and looks me dead in the eye, and goes, God hears your cry.
0: Holy shit.
1: She said, the tears will end, joy will come, and you will write a book about it.
0: Wow.
1: And she walked away. Fuck. When I left there, like, okay, pretty sure that's a sign.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't think it gets any more clear than that.
1: Well, so that, that was the catalyst in 2016 that made me feel like there's some hope for my life. And then not to tell people, oh, you're going to have this big sign and life is going to be amazing because I had two more miscarriages after that encounter. But I hung on to that sign and that moment where hope collided with my heart. And that helped me get through the other struggles and turn it into something beautiful. So that doesn't mean you're never going to have another setback. It means you're going to have the hope to hang on to it through those times, to get the resilience, to push through and have that resistance, resolute spirit and conquer it and be a better person. So that is what shaped this entire journey for me is that desperation, the hunger, not wanting to be on autopilot, mediocre, emotionally dead that I called out and said, I want more from my life and I want a zeal and a passion and I'm gonna chase it. And I want people to walk away from this conversation having that same kind of inkling in their heart to have that appetite, get off the diet.
0: Fucking beautiful. That is incredible. Thank you so much for sharing that. So inspirational and powerful. I love it. Thank you. What do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful?
1: Uh, I definitely think my incredible ability to be vulnerable. And I was the queen of masks and type A and overachiever and armor it up and a chameleon that I can be this perfectionist, whatever you want me to be. And like I said, in 2016, I made a decision to take all of those masks away and be vulnerable. And it's shocking to the core, to someone sitting beside me or across from me, that I can say something so heartwrenchingly vulnerable and beautiful and authentic that it touches their heart in such a deep way that we create such a magic moment of connection. And that's the point of our lives is human connection. And so that is what I've drawn as my vulnerability and my ability to connect with someone's heart.
0: Speaking of success, what does that word mean to you? How do you define that word?
1: I love this because we're programmed to, to create success as in money mm-hmm. position, promotion, power, and you know, celebrity. Right. Yeah. And and I'm like, why is that the definition of success? And I catch myself too, even with my own business of I'm feeling a little bit down because that's not really how I, I envisioned the success of this project. And my husband and I have this conversation of, well, what is success for you? Well, success for me and the whole point of this journey was to heal physically and emotionally. So am I doing that? Yes. So then therefore I'm successful. So it it really is a definition for you to decide. And why are we a victim of society's definition of that? Why can't I decide what success means for me today? And maybe it just means getting out of bed and being happy, right? Maybe it's just not losing it on my kid because I've got no more reserves left. Maybe that's my success today. And that's okay. And that's a brilliant power. That is a superpower to redefine what success means. It's not what the traditional society structure of success of money and power. And this formula, it is what do I want me to be? And am I working towards that? Am I taking a step? Have I not gone backwards? Then that's success. And I'm celebrating that achievement of success.
0: (laughs) I love it. Throw the celebration in there. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after learning it?
1: rejection (laughs) like the girl that has been rejected her entire life who has a problem with rejection picked a career that really invites and provokes people to reject her (laughs) it's really funny (laughs) and I sit back and I was like you know what that's kind of comical because I had to learn But that's not the definition of my worth is someone accepts or rejects me because I've had to accept me. And that has been the greatest training ground is that I'd rather speak my truth and what I'm passionate and zone in on that and harness that and be rejected than give you some watered down version, chameleon masked up part of me to be accepted. And I keep coming back to that and it hurts like hell. And I'm going to be honest, I get rejected every day and it hurts. I have a soft, tender heart and it sucks, but it's been the most beautiful gift for me to heal. And I have an autoimmune condition that is self-rejection that literally translates to self-rejection. So I'm literally facing the very thing that's my nemesis but I am unlocking the hold it has on me by allowing rejection to be safe. Rejection
0: is safe. That is fucking powerful. Yeah. What does the word empowerment mean to you?
1: Oh, empowerment means literally standing in your own superpowers. That's what Mm -hmm. it means. Empowerment. It's like, really unlearning what that word means and defining it for yourself.
0: Love it. Blaze, who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why?
1: Hmm. Biggest impact on me? I would say my husband. I don't even know how he came into my life at the moment he did and stayed because generally when you don't feel loved and aren't worthy of love, you generally reject it. And for some reason, God knew I needed him. And he was going to stick around. Even the girl pushed him away and did everything possible to sabotage that because rejection was so familiar and therefore safe that I pushed away the one person that was going to love me unconditionally. And throughout our 18 years together, he has shown me that men are safe. He has shown me that even through trials and tribulations, that he's going to stand by me and not reject me and that I'm worthy of love. And... He fanned my flame and he didn't try and stifle it. He fanned it. And I've learned how to not emasculate men. I've learned how to fan his flame. And we've grown to an amazing team together all because of him defying that belief system that men weren't safe.
0: Beautiful, You fanned each other's flames turning into a blaze. Yes. Beautiful fire.
1: Exactly. That collaboration. And it's been a beautiful, a beautiful journey together. It's a love story.
0: Love that. If you could set up a billboard anywhere, where would you put it and what would it say?
1: Oh, yeah, I would say my immediate thing is New York is kind of my thing. Times Square, breathe fire.
0: (laughs) Awesome. What is an unexpected blessing or occurrence in your life that you're grateful for?
1: Unexpected blessing. You know, it took me a long time to get there, but... I I viewed the miscarriages as such a deep tragedy that it was unfair. Like, why is this happening to me? And now I can sit here and be my babies gave their life for me to fulfill my purpose. And so it, it was a beautiful gift that they gave me. They gave their life for me.
0: Wow. That is powerful. If you were writing your autobiography, what would the title be? I
1: think... Yeah, I think I, I did it with heroin. I think that encapsulates it perfectly is that I am the hero of my life. I'm not the victim, I'm the hero. And it's beautiful and, you know, messy and brilliant and perfect because it's my life. So it's heroin.
0: The next grouping of questions is just going to be like two, three, four word answer type thing. Okay. Sure. What is the first thing you notice about a person? Their energy. Early bird or night owl? Early bird. How would you describe yourself in one word? <laughs>
1: Firecracker.
0: If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be?
1: Know your triggers.
0: If you could change one thing about the world, what would you change?
1: Self-hatred.
0: What is your favorite self-care practice?
1: Mm, My favorite self-care practice is to have an inner conversation with me of, is this true or is this your false narrative playing tricks on you? And it helps me get back to a place of self-love.
0: And that concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. What does the best version of you look like when you close your eyes and imagine it?
1: Exactly who I am right now.
0: <laughs> What's something surprising that you've learned about yourself in the past year?
1: That i am actually got so much more mercy than I thought I ever could have.
0: What is one lesson your career has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? We belong. What challenge in your life has shaped you the most?
1: I think this rare condition, because of the sheer length of it, I've been battling it for 17 years. And, you know, every situation, positive or negative, is there to shape us and or allow us an opportunity to better it and change the outcome. And the fact that I haven't been able to change the outcome just yet in 17 years means it's changing me. And it's changing me for the better and refining me. And that is a beautiful gift, even though you could look at it as such a struggle for so long that it's continuing to shape me like a diamond. And I'm walking out as a beautiful, polished, perfected diamond.
0: (laughs) That's a great analogy. It takes a lot of work to get to that point to shift your mindset in that way.
1: It does. So kudos to you
0: for doing the work. Thank you. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why?
1: Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And not just because of what she did for women's rights, but because of her such strong relationship with her husband. And I completely respect and honor that she didn't get competitive with him, that she fanned his flame and he fanned hers. And it was such a brilliant partnership to the very end that I. That is what I want to talk to her about.
0: I love it. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be?
1: Oh, sweet, precious girl. You were born to be different. Don't mask it. Embrace it.
0: Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Lastly, Blaze, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, your corner of the world, your tribe, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart?
1: I would say... Even now, in this very moment, it's never too late to make a lasting impact on this world. And all it takes is one word, one look, one feeling, and leave somebody something of happiness and hope. Hope drives change, hope heals humanity, hope provokes peace. Pick up the mantle of hope and breathe fire on this world.
0: Beautifully said. What an incredibly powerful and beautiful way to end the interview. Thank you so much for being here, Blaze, and for taking the time to chat with me and share a little bit about your story and your journey and the beautiful light that you're putting out into the world with the work you do. It is an absolute honor to have had the time with you and to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. So thank you for being the beautiful soul that you are and for sharing your bright, beautiful light with the world.
1: Oh, well, thank you so much for creating this platform and elevating and amplifying women's voices. Like, you are a fan of flames as well for womankind. So, I really honor that. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Blaze Hunter. She is the owner and founder of Blaze the Trail Incorporated, a modern day superhero, a best selling author, a multi award winning humanitarian, and international speaker. Fertility expert, human rights advocate, copywriter, and mother of purpose and breaker of chains. Blaze, thank you so much. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day.
1: You too. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at vizuphoria.ca. Follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.